when you watch people as the keynote speaker or on a TV show and you're like, yeah, that I want to work with that person. Like, or you see them and you're like, wait, how are they on there? I'm so much better than that person. Like, why aren't I, why am I in the audience and they're on stage? Welcome to seven to eight, our special series on seven and eight figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to center stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Phil. Phil, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can tell already. It's going to be awesome. So give everybody the 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Oh, God. Um, I don't even know what I love to do anymore. Shout at the TV when I'm watching sports, I think is probably the extent <laughs> of my my hobbies these days. Um, I'm Phil Paluccia. I'm the founder and CEO of Billionaires in Boxers. We are a business community, rather anti-establishment business community, but aimed at uh, creating wealth and abundance within your business and then showing you what to do with it. Um, so primarily that takes the place of authority building. So I've been ranked number one in the past, uh, number one in the world for the past five years at authority building and monetized content. Uh, I own the Billionaires in Boxes TV broadcast network, which produces 300 hours worth of business television content monthly across 15 different satellite television networks. And then in my spare time, I'm also a business consultant. <laughs> um, with no yeah, hobbies. I I, yeah, I don't sleep with no hobbies except shouting at the TV. I'm wondering why I work so much. Um, yeah, so Billionaires in Boxes is, is a lot of fun. It's, it's very much about uh, if you feel like your industry's best kept secret, we are the stage and the spotlight and we're very good at that and making sure that people know that you exist um, so that you can shine at what you do. Nice. I love it. So how did you get into all of that? Purely accidentally. Um, <laughs> I tripped. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It wasn't even like I was, I was kind of dragged actually. Um, so I had, uh, I've been a professional sports player uh, in, in my youth uh, and then I got medically retired in my early 20s and had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, went and retrained as a surveyor and ended up working at board level for some of the largest real estate companies in the world. So I was working with uh, clients and directly with the likes of CBRE, Jones Lang LaSalle, Keller Williams, you name it, all, all over the world, which is really cool. Got married and got pregnant. Well, I didn't. My wife <laughs> did. Um, that's a different podcast. And... Um, decided like I, I needed to stop traveling so much. I mean, I was responsible at the time for uh, most of Europe and the whole of Africa. So I was constantly traveling and uh, decided I wanted to set up my own business, set up two consultancies at the same time. One of them was a marketing strategy uh, consultancy and the other one was an executive search firm and realized that I had no idea how to win clients. Um, like no idea because I'd never had to, right? I'd always worked for these large corporates where my idea of business development was look at my emails choose the project I want to work on um so I had no idea what to do and I, I thought my reputation would carry me through and it really didn't <laughs> um so I was probably about six months away from having to go back and get a, a quote-unquote real job again and what had happened was that when I'd left the world of sport to go into corporate one of the, my attachments to sport that remained was podcasting so uh, one of my friends is a sports journalist and he approached me and said, do you want to do a sports podcast? And I said, what the hell is a podcast? 
And he said, it's kind of like a radio show, but no one listens. And I'm like, so why are we doing it? And he's like, because it's kind of like we can just go to the pub after the game, have a few drinks and just rant. And I was like, I can do that. I can rant and get drunk. That sounds fun. Um, but I ended up growing and selling two professional sports podcast networks. And I, I loved it. It was a lot of fun, generated some revenue, kept me involved in the game. But one of the things that was fascinating about it was it was the networking piece because we were on the press association list for sports clubs in different countries. And we could literally rock up and interview our favorite managers and players. And it was, it was bizarre. We had no place being there, but somehow we did. Um, and when I was sat worrying about business, I suddenly thought, I wonder if I can use that networking power in podcasting for business development rather than just for sport. So very primitive strategy, made a list of the top 100 companies I wanted to work with and invited each of their CEOs onto a podcast to talk about two things. Number one, themselves. Michelle, tell me about your career and how you got to where you are, because everyone loves talking about themselves. Number two is tell me about your business and where you're going over the next few years, which they're currently paid to do. So Loads of people said yes. Some people thought it was a bit of a, a con. Like there were people messaging me back, like, who are you? Do you work for the IRS? And it's like, no, like the IRS haven't got really clever at tax investigation. I'm not being sent to make sure that what you say about your business matches your tax returns. Um, but most of the people came on and just had a good conversation. And building relationships with people invariably leads to, hey, um, do you do this? Like, because we, we need somebody at the moment. Or could you help us with this? And uh, fast forward three months, I had 21 people working for me full-time globally. I'd bitten off way more than I could chew. Um, did that for a few more years very successfully and then exited both of those businesses. Again, I met all my clients on the podcast and I met the investors who bought it. Well, both of them on a podcast. Um, so I had no idea what to do. It was way too young to retire. Also didn't have enough money to retire, to be completely honest. I had enough to not work for a bit, but I, I couldn't retire. And I had lots of clients, former clients, friends and family contacting me saying, how did you get that TV show? How did you get that speaking gig? How did you get that client? How did you win that like exclusively? And I got so sick of telling them about, I was just network with people on a podcast and create content just for the purpose of networking with people that I decided to just teach them how to do it. Um, started teaching them billionaires in boxes was born. So Lots of people started asking us about it from around the world, created a podcast, which is now a top 5% podcast, million downloads per month, which still happens to this day, which I love. It got picked up as a radio show, later got picked up as a TV show, which is where the name Billionaires in Boxers came from. Um, but that's why I mean by dragged into this. I had no intention of teaching anybody this stuff. I just got sick of people asking me. Um, and that's pretty much been the gist of the business Every ever since. sit down. <laughs> I'm sick of being right out. It's like, let me tell you so you can <laughs> leave me alone and stop asking me. Fast forward a decade, Speaking I'm still here. Anger management. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much that. It's, I'm a very, very angry man, clearly. Like, I'm <laughs> shouting at clients. I'm shouting at the TV. It's like, just learn this and leave me alone. Um, but unfortunately for me, I've been very successful, which means every time I teach them something, it works. So they want to come and do more. <laughs> so it backfired horrifically. <laughs> Um, fast forward to where we are today, as I said, number one in the world for the past five years. And it's a lot of fun most of the time when I'm not shouting. <laughs> so awesome. So I know you have an awesome story to tell me about the first time you, <laughs> was it the first time you went on stage or the first time you made a million on stage? No, it was the first time we made a million from a stage. Um, nice. it wasn't the first time I was on stage, but it, it, as a story, it is, um, well, we coined a phrase for it beforehand, didn't we? It's genuinely fucked up. <laughs> 
And and nobody ever believes this story until they read the press about it afterwards, where they go, oh, shit, <laughs> like this crazy Brit's right. Um, but here's what happened. I got hired by this company. It's like a consultant. They gave me some shares in the company as well because it was a startup. But they were a marketing consultancy firm based in the northwest of the UK. And they wanted to do emerging market marketing strategy work, right? And they were fascinated with emerging technologies. And one of the areas that they really wanted to move into was virtual reality, which is great. And I think uh, how they decided that was someone was on Google, saw that there was virtual rea- an article about virtual reality and decided to model their entire business around this thing that they knew nothing about. Um, and then they it's, hired me. Isn't that what every entrepreneur does? <laughs> Pretty much. Like how to make money. Oh, this looks good. Um, like now, now I own a crypto bank. What do I do now? Um, but they, they came to me because they were like, look, we know you're very good at networking. We know you're very good at meeting the right people. We need to be on the main stage. I was like, okay, well, where's the market? And they were like, okay, it's Silicon Valley and it's China. And I'm like, great. We're in the Northwest of the UK. I'm not quite sure we are positioned very well to capitalize on either one of those markets, but let's, let's see where we go. So I did what I often do when I need to start learning about something because I knew nothing about VR. In fact, truth be told, despite the fact, according to CNN and Fox and a handful of others, I am a virtual reality expert. I still know nothing about virtual reality, I think is the, the truth. Um, they just, nobody ever stopped to ask. They were just like, oh, do you even own one? Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I have one for my PlayStation, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's not really VR. It's just kind of playing with the, a 3D wrap, isn't it? Um. But I, got, I decided that I was going to start interviewing people on this podcast. And my intention was I'm just going to interview the movers and shakers in virtual reality to learn about them, see what's happening in the industry, and just kind of see what falls out. And two things fell out of the kind of the first four to six weeks of interviewing people. Number one was that they, anybody who was anybody was at Mobile World Congress in China coming up in a, in a few months' time. Everybody was at this event. It's an event that attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors every year. Microsoft speak there. Zuckerberg spoke there. Like it's, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. It's like the biggest tech event in Asia. And everybody was going to be there. Second thing that I learned was that the headsets at the time were still really expensive. And most people weren't buying them because there wasn't enough gamification in the industry. So everyone's already trying to focus on, well, like, how can we use it for marketing? How can we use it to sell people shit? And it's like, well, you, no one's going to buy a $2,000 headset if you sell them something. Like, that's not how this works. So you have to give them a reason to want to, right? Yeah, they have to play games, they have to do whatever. And I decided that I was going to try and blag a ticket to the event. So I rang up and I invited the event organizer for Mobile World Congress onto the podcast, which at the time had, you know, a a huge listenership of about five people plus my mom. Um, And I said, you know, would you like to come on and it'll help you to sell tickets and maybe get some sponsorship, which there's a lesson in that for anybody listening to this, by the way, event organizers are focused on sponsorship and selling tickets. So he obviously said, yes, he comes onto the podcast and he says, I'm, I feel like I've missed a trick. And I'm like, okay, what's up? And he's like, why does everybody know you? I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody who's speaking here has told me about you, about doing this podcast. Like I looked through the list of people you've interviewed. It's a who's who of the VR industry. Like, how have I missed you? And I decided to just kind of play along. So I was like, oh, I don't know. You're obviously not doing your job properly. And he laughed. Um, (laughs) And I said, well, look, I'd, I'd love to get involved. And he was like, oh, that would be great. You know, what would you speak about? 
And I suddenly realized that he just made the assumption that this was a speaking gig. So I said, well, I'd probably talk about how before we can market in VR, you need additional gamification. Otherwise, the headsets are too expensive. And he was like, that's a brilliant talking point. Um, tell me about your speaker's fee. Now, at this point, I'd been in VR, the industry, about four weeks. We didn't have a single client. I knew about as much as I just told him in the title. <laughs> like That was the extent of my knowledge. Um, and I was like, well, you know, usually we charge $50,000 for a speaking gig and anything we keep on stage. And he was like, okay, I can put you on the main stage. I can't pay you, but I can subsidize your flights and your hotel and your expenses whilst you're over here. And I was like, okay, I, I can do that. Got to get there anyway. <laughs> yeah, man. So he sorts it all out. And I was like, oh my God, this is cool. So I went and told the, the two partners who own the company who kind of flipped between ADHD childhood excitement and absolutely shitting a brick of what are we going to talk about? Um, and they were like, Oh my God, you know, he's been with us for four weeks. We told him to meet some cool people. And now suddenly we've been invited to the main stage keynote speaker of the biggest tech event in Asia talking about virtual reality and the human experience. And it was like, Oh boy, it's like, how long is the talk? It's like it's 30 minutes. And it's like 30 minutes about VR. Oh my days. So anyway, I contacted um, a few things. I was, whilst I was on a, I kind of do this. When I'm on a roll, I put my luck as far as I can take it. So I, I got all sorts. Like I got Chinese Airways to upgrade our flights to business class just for the sake of it. Um, I said, oh, they should have organized it. I feel really embarrassed going back to ask them again. And they're like, no problem. We'll just upgrade it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we got an upgrade at the hotel. That was really cool. Um, and I contacted the British Chamber of Commerce and I said, I'm going to be speaking at this event. You know, is there any, and I kind of wanted to know if there was any friendly faces out there. And I was like, is there anybody else out there? And like, no, we've never had anybody speak for us at this event, but we really want to. If we sponsor you and give you some money for travel and accommodation, I didn't tell them I already had that. Um, can you just thank us for sending you at the beginning of your speech? And in my head, I'm thinking, do I want, to start my speech with a massive boost of credibility saying i'd like to thank the british government for sending me to speak on their behalf well yeah that's never going to do me any harm right <laughs> so took the money took the credibility pissed off to china um which is a long ass way by the way right china's very far away um <laughs> shock shock horror <laughs> Um, however, this is where it gets fun, right? So I'm in the speaker room and, you know, Sony's in there and Kinetech, who were eventually bought out by Sony, are in there. And there's a representative from Microsoft in there, uh, somebody from Apple in there, uh, somebody from HTC. I think it was the CEO of HTC, if I'm not mistaken, was in there. Like, this is mad, right? And I'm about to walk out onto this stage and speak in front of five to 6,000 people, all of whom have paid thousands of dollars to be in that room. And they are the creme de la creme of the industry. Like front and center, I can see sat there as the CEO of Chinese Telecom, right? Who's a very nice guy, by the way. I had a great conversation with him about rolling out 5G. I think the UK just about managed 3G at this point. Um, but I'm, I'm about to walk out on stage and two things happen. Number one, I suddenly forget what the hell I'm there to talk about. Um, legs are like jelly, like, and like horrifically so. And then that voice in your head that is not, not your friend at all suddenly when you do realize the entire industry is about to realize that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and i'm like that's not helpful brain i'm literally about to walk out on stage so i walk out on stage a bit like bambi on ice like can't walk so my legs are kind of giving it this 
walk out, get on stage. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to start with a joke just to settle my nerves a little bit. And this stage is massive. Like it's absolutely huge. I've never seen a stage so big in my whole life. Big, big, massive cinema screens behind me with my face on it. It's bizarre, right? I walk out on stage and I said, uh, Thank you so much to GSMA for inviting me over from the UK to come and talk to you. I'd also like to thank the British government and the International Chamber of Commerce for asking me to come and speak on their behalf. Uh, I have been assured that if I return next year, there will be a bigger stage. I'm slightly disappointed by the size of this one, um, but it will be bigger next year. Nobody left, right? <laughs> Not one person. And I was like, oh, they already know I'm a fraud. I've only made a joke. Right. So then I thought, well, I'll best get on with my talk. So I said, well, I'm over from the UK and I'm here to talk to you about gamification and um, immersive marketing within virtual reality. And everyone laughed. Right. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then suddenly realized they've all got headsets on Translators. with a translator. <laughs> so they're behind. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be really awkward. So I'd make a joke. And then I'd be like, pause for laughter. And that 10 seconds would feel like 15 minutes to be like, Come on, laugh, people. Like, um, you know, these are the jokes. <laughs> so eat them up. Um, so I finished, I did my talk and I had no idea how it had gone. No idea at all. Um, I'm doing that thing of going, well, no one's thrown anything at me. Nobody's left. Um, maybe it was all right. So when you come off the stage, so you come on the stage at the side, when you go off the stage, you go down the middle because it's kind of like a speaker area at the front. It's all cordoned off and you go and sit with all the other speakers. I'm walking off the stage and um, <laughs> this big guy is about, I'm, I'm tall. I'm six foot two. And this guy is huge, right? He's like a giant bald head, Slavic looking, just marching straight towards me, straight down the middle security have just let him go past. And I'm, I, my, my brain went, you're about to get chucked out in front of all of these people. Like they know you're a fraud. You're in so much trouble. And he walks up to me and he shakes my hand really hard. He's got a hand like a bunch of bananas. And he thrusts something into the palm of my hand and shakes my hand. And he goes, we don't know each other, but we need to work together. I have to go now. Call me. And I'm like, okay, like, whatever you say, big scary guy. So off he goes. And I sit down, still shaking and probably need new shorts at this point. And the Spanish guy next to me goes, who was that? I'm like, I have no idea. And I suddenly realized that what he thrust into my hand was his business card. Senior vice president from Microsoft Asia, responsible for the HoloLens VR project. And I'm nice. like, oh my God. And what ended up happening was, talks finished, there was like two more people after me, and then I was walking to the back of the room. And there's a line of people, and I don't know whether they're queuing for the restroom, coffee, trying to get out. Turns out they're queuing to wait to speak to me. Because the they, they'd, I don't know whether my talk was good or not, but they'd seen him talk to me and therefore they wanted to talk to me. In that one room alone, we did half a million dollars worth of business on the dot signed up then and there, like within, within nice. an hour of me finishing my talk and starting to speak to people, half a million dollars, right? I walk out and I realize that all the people I really want to speak to have now just gone into this little closed off room with a red, you know, the red ribbon cordon and all this kind of stuff. I'm thinking, oh, I'll go in there then. So I went to walk in and the security guard puts his arm out and he says, you're not on the list. I was like, I was one of the keynote speakers. And he said, it's a private networking event. It's $5,000 a ticket. And I was like, well, I'm supposed to be in there. And he's like, you're not on the list. 
So I went upstairs to my hotel room, which was adjacent. And I picked up this for those of you who can see on camera. This is a $30 microphone, <laughs> right? And I walked straight back down and I went towards the gate and I said, I'm supposed to be doing some virtual reality podcast interviews with people whilst we're in there. And he said, are you not supposed to be? You know, you're not on the list. So I called the event organizer and again, blagging my way in. I said, Ted, um, you know, you wanted me to do those interviews in the VIP networking thing. This guy won't let me in. He says I'm not on the list. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Put him on. So he puts him on the phone and he says, yeah, let him in. Just put him on the list. So he turns around, gets the lanyard thing, puts it over my shoulder. I was like, my colleague's here as well. I can't leave him sat outside like a dog. So he turns around and he gets him one and he puts that on as well. So we've just blagged $10,000 worth of tickets at this point. March into this thing. That microphone is such a conversation starter, right? People coming up to me talking like, oh, are you doing interviews? It's like, oh, we can arrange one if you like. Tell me what you do. And the relationships in there, I had people coming up to me going, I really enjoyed your talk. You're a funny guy. Like, thank you for coming. You know, you made some really good points. Here's what we're working on. How do you think that you can help? Right. Next day, like two moments later. Right. So next day, here's what happens. The guy who's left in the UK rings me and he goes, tell me you've heard the two bits of news. And I was like, no, what's the two bits of news? He said, we have over half a million dollars already paid in first payment consulting fees from the people there. And we've got well in excess of a million dollars worth of committed business. It ended up being a million dollars because we lost some, but we got well in excess of over a million dollars worth of business committed to working with us. What did you do? Like who, what did you say? And I was like, I have no, I genuinely have I don't no remember. idea. I, it, was, it was all a blur. I just kind of, and I said, I also shouted at them. And he's like, what? And I was like, I shouted at them. I told them that they were all stupid if they thought they could sell uh, headsets for a few thousand dollars before they bothered to do the gamification. And if they wanted to use it for marketing, they had to stop being lazy and skipping out the fun part. Uh, and he was like, that wasn't in the talk. I was like, I know it just came out. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I said, but they really appreciate it. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, I dread to think. And he's like, tell me you heard the second bit of news. I was like, no, no, I don't know. And this is where people can fact check this, by the way. He said, Campaign Asia, who are one of the biggest tech magazines in Asia, have just released their review of the three-day event, your front page. He said, there's a big picture of you on this bloody big stage. And it says, Phil Paluccia, working for 3D Redshift in the UK, summed it up best when he said, you know, virtual reality marketing is about leaving you immersed in an experience that leaves you wanting more. And then it carries on talking about all the other people that were there. And I was getting phone calls from Korean TV, CNN. Uh, we got the Business Times. We got all kinds of people just contacting us saying, you know, we wanted to ask you a question. As a virtual reality expert, what would you do in this situation? And I'm going, oh, I'm an expert now. Great. Which is why, by the way, I really distrust the word expert because I was an expert being recognized internationally and I knew absolutely fuck all, um, like nothing, right? I, I barely understood how virtual reality worked. And here I was being classed as an expert. Um, but there's some important lessons to be learned from this. The lessons that I want people to take away from this are as follows. Number one, stop waiting to be invited. Stop waiting to be discovered because it doesn't happen, right? When you watch people as the keynote speaker or on a TV show and you're like, yeah, that I want to work with that person. Like, or you see them and you're like, wait, how are they on there? I'm so much better than that person. Like, why aren't I, why am I in the audience and they're on stage? I'll tell you why. Cause it's always one of two reasons. One, they pitch themselves to be there successfully Two, 
they knew somebody who invited them. End of story. So if you're not pitching yourself and you're not networking with people, you're never going to get the invite. Second thing I want to tell people, the, the only person giving you those limitations and holding you back and telling you you can't do something is you. Because if anybody's ever read that story as a child, The Emperor's New Clothes, I lived that very experience. Uh, I stood on that stage, told them what I thought of them in a not very friendly way and won over a million dollars worth of business and got classed as an expert in an industry that I knew absolutely Scooby-Doo about. Nothing. I still don't, to be perfectly honest. But sometimes you just positioning yourself in front of the right people and saying how you truly feel rather than what you think they want to hear can be incredibly beneficial for you in your career. So you want to stand out. You want to achieve, you know, what's that saying? Um, you know, if you want to get different results, if you want to have uh, amazing results, you have to take different actions, right? If you want to achieve something that's different from the norm, you can't behave like everybody else. So if everybody else is coming out on stage dressed in a suit, waffling about what they can do to improve your quarter, you should walk out in board shorts, call them all assholes and tell them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> they might just respect you for it. If you can run in flip-flops. <laughs> Absolutely. Just walk on in flip-flops and be like, listen, I'm, I'm off to the beach, so make this quick. Here's what you guys are doing wrong. Um, but just more, that's my, that's my behavior, right? That's who I am. That's my sense of humor. You don't have to do it like that, but by being well, I was going to say, were you born with, you know, steel neck? <laughs> I think I was just always an asshole, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I was always very anti-establishment. Um, we, I did my genealogy not so long ago, and I found out that I'm a, a direct uh, descendant from the Wallace family, as in William Wallace from Braveheart. So I think there's the, there's definitely something there um, that's in that's in the DNA. Um, I, I got kicked out of school at 14 because I was completely anti-rules and anti-establishment. I'd never do things the way that people wanted me to. So there is an element of of me just kind of pushing the boundaries, but at the same time, you know. I, I look at that and I go, whatever I can do it, you can do it. Because, you know, most people who are listening to this aren't going to go and do a talk about something that they know absolutely nothing about, right? So you're already better prepared than I am because you know what the hell you're talking about. I had no idea what I was talking about. But mo again, people will know what they're talking about and they'll be like, oh, well, I can't, I can't quite, I can't say that because it might offend somebody. It's like, uh -uh. be honest. You're like your vibe attracts your tribe and, the more honest you are, you will turn people off and you will turn people on. And the people who you want to work with you will resonate with that message. And the people who, you know, we've all worked with clients we really wish we hadn't bothered. And the best way to avoid those people is to say something that instantly puts them off you. It's great. It's wonderful. So just don't, don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You know, these people that are atop of their industry, they're there because they pitched themselves and they took the opportunities. So Stop waiting for the perfect moment because it doesn't exist. You can even follow the strategy that I used. Make a list of the events that you most want to speak at and invite their event organizers onto a podcast to build a relationship with them. Help them sell tickets, help them find sponsors, speak to their other keynote speakers and watch the opportunities start to roll in for you to speak and present yourself on the right platforms. Nice. I love it. It's golden. It's like this just river of gold <laughs> coming out <laughs> of your face. It's like... And and I don't I don't I, I appreciate that I think there's an element of humanity there that is just natural to you that you're just like yeah yeah that's what I do mm. and I think it's so important for people to realize that the thoughts that they're thinking even if it's just 
hey, this is the way I see it, even though I know nothing about your industry. That's probably the most valuable thing to oh, them incredible. because you don't know about their industry because Correct. they can't see it the forest for the trees kind of thing and you're just going you're so hey did right. you happen and notice a big ass fire in the middle of the field over there? Like, well do you know it's i love you for saying that because one of the things that that we do a lot as a business and 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 this really helps us and so i'll stress this point because it touches on really nicely with what you just shared so people have always said well why don't you niche down and i was like because i don't have a target market i solve a target problem and one of the things that actually works really well with solving a target problem is we work with lots of different industries so as a result of that, as a byproduct, we have something that I call geographical and industrial cross-pollination, which is I get to see what's working in other markets and in other countries and in other industries and say, hey, do you know they've already figured this shit out and they do this and this is how this works? So for people kind of going, what on earth is he talking about right now? Let me give you a really, really, really basic example. Professional services person, like an accountant or a lawyer, right? They want more digital you know, revenue within their business. They want to work a lot less. They, they want to be able to use lead generation properly because they, they're still doing it old school flyers and leaflets and sticky stuff up in a shop window. Half of them don't even know how to do that properly at this point. All right. Or they're still going to BNI breakfast mornings and swapping business cards with people and hoping for the best, right? Meanwhile, the tech industry have completely automated their sales process. They can do this over and over again. They know exactly what works, driving adverts, landing funnel, quiz, pay, quiz funnels, whatever, right? They know it. So taking what's working for a tech business and saying to that professional services firm, well, here's what's already working. Here's the blueprint. Don't try and figure this out yourself. Here's what's working. Let's just plug it in and make it work for you. Great. Well, what if that tech firm who's selling a hundred dollar product, you know, SaaS product suddenly says, because I've seen this a lot with them as well. You know, we really want to do some of this high end consulting stuff now as well and going in and do big kit outs and jobs and actually working with them. But we don't know how to win professional services work. We only know how to create a landing page that someone can buy a hundred dollar piece of software. They don't we don't know how to write a proposal properly. Great. Well, you see this lawyer that you've just helped out over here. He knows how to do that. Nailed on that lawyer that's been working in this industry for 30 years. He's got this down pat. Let me share with you what he's doing and why this is working best. And even like the same industry in different countries don't work the same way. Like the US is usually pretty advanced for things, right? But not always. There are certain things that the US doesn't do particularly well. Like um, I know a lot more people in the US, for example, are starting to use SMS and text marketing. Well, it might surprise them to know that the, the Middle East, particularly Dubai and Abu Dhabi, have been doing that incredibly successfully for the past 15 years. So if you want to learn how to do something, stand on the shoulders of giants. Don't reinvent the wheel all the time. Let's go and find out who's already got this piece and already who knows how to do this and make it work. So to, to your point, Michelle, if you're going into an industry that you don't recognize and you can say, hey, I see you've got this problem. Do you know that over here we just do this, this, and this for this? That's worth its weight in gold. But you might be afraid. You might say, well, I can't say that to a dentist. I know nothing about the dental industry. You don't have to. If you know something about solving the problem that you can see, share that with them because that's incredibly valuable information. I love it. And speaking of standing on the shoulders of giants, I know people are going to want more of you. I know I want more of you. How <laughs> did they start their journey with you? Oh, good question. Uh, definitely check out the show notes below. I'm sure there'll be a link there to, to book a conversation with me and come and say hello. Um, check out uh, billionairesinboxes.com. And in fact, I would highly recommend if this is your first time ever hearing me and you're thinking, 
who on earth is this psychopath? Um, come and check out Profitable Networking Monthly. It is a free networking event. It's advertised on LinkedIn. We will include a link in the show notes below. If you cannot find it or you're listening to this at a later date, just go onto LinkedIn into the search bar and search for Profitable Networking Monthly. You'll see my big shiny head there. Um, it's a free networking event. It's really great. Michelle, you know, you've been there a number of times now. There's some phenomenal people in there. It's a great crowd. We share some best practice and it's a really great opportunity to meet some people and get some stages and platforms too. So perhaps start your journey there. Love it. Love it. So I have to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, I think when I realized that I was unemployable, um, I was always way too opinionated and I got to board level at a very young age because I was very opinionated, but I still had a lot of trouble. Like I, just like I did in school, the corporate world was exactly the same because I was always really irritated that we couldn't move quickly. Like I hated having meetings for several months at a time to discuss something that should have took 10 minutes because it was obvious. Um, so I think the, the moment that I realized I had to be an entrepreneur was when I realized I was sick of convincing idiots to do the best thing for their business. So I just wanted to go and say, right, that's it. I'm going to go do it for myself. Um, I still get approached to this day. In fact, bizarrely for the first time in months, it happened earlier today. I got approached by a headhunter about a CEO's position in someone else's company. And my response to them is always the same. Nobody else is going to be crazy enough to pay me what I pay myself. <laughs> so this isn't going to work. Right. Um, but I think that was the moment, right? I think you have to be a special breed of crazy. I think you have to be that person who swims against what society has taught you is the norm, right? Go to, go to school, get good grades, go to college, go to university, you know, get an internship, work your way up, get a promotion, get your pension, chip into your 401k, you know? No, it's, it's boring. It's, you know, that was the mindset for the industrial revolution and they're working you into a grave. So I, I, I'm very blessed. I have a great team, a great business. I also work two days a week that people find quite surprising. I spend most of my time chilling with my family and, and just hanging around with my, my puppy and just playing games and having fun. Um, I could never do that in the working environment. I'd get fired if I did as much work in somebody else's company as I do in my own. I'm just going to charge you X million dollars a year so that I can yeah. work two days a week. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm bringing it, my dog. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, not, oh, I'm not coming into the office. Um, my business is called Billionaires in Boxes because I build global empires from home and never put on pants. Um, I only work so Monday never... and Tuesday, and Monday and Tuesdays are usually holidays. Well, I won't even work two consecutive days. I work Tuesdays and Thursdays because I need a rest in the middle. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is actually a true story. Um, but this is the thing, right? Uh, and there's a little note on this, and maybe this is a big learning point for people as well. The reason I work two days a week is that I, I want to be able to give 110% to each of my clients. And when I was working five days, six days a week, the people that were getting me on a Friday weren't getting the service that they paid for. They were still very happy. We got six years at 100% success record, but I wasn't happy because I was like, I'm not giving them the best version of me because I'm tired and I'm fed up by the time I get there. And that's not fair. That's not right. So instead of doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting, which I was doing at the time, we grew a number of masterminds that we could teach people in groups so that that group, instead of being an hour, might now be 90 minutes to two hours. But you're getting the best of Phil. You're getting the very best of me to help you move your business forward. And their results have shown as a result of that. So 
if I can help people to achieve more by working less, like that seems like a super efficient way of running a business. Right. So, um, I, I highly urge people to do that. And a great place to start. If you're thinking there's no way I could do two days a week, Phil, like I'm already stressed out my tree with what I've got. Here's a great place to start. And you can all do this right now. Take your cell phone out, go to your calendar, block book, breakfast, lunch, dinner with your family every single day. Block book all the movies and all the sports games that you want to book in your calendar. Block book meditation time at least three times a week and block book exercise at least three times a week into your calendar. Now let work fit around your life not the other way around. Stop sacrificing family time, dinner time, movie time, game time, social time, gym time, personal reflection time for clients because it's like water. Wherever there is a space, it will fill. So block it in your calendar. Do it now. Make sure you repeat it for every single day of the week so this happens indefinitely. And now let business fit around it and stay strong with it. It takes a bit of discipline at first, but don't sacrifice it. Don't ever go, well, I'll just do it this once. I'll just book it in for half an hour. Uh-uh. Don't do it. Sends the wrong message to the universe. Stay strong. And I promise you, you and your business will flourish as a result. I love it. Phil, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate how valuable it is. Any last words for our peeps? Thank you so much for having me. I think it's the first thing that I would say. It's been a lot of fun. I thought it would be. It's always a crazy story to share. Um, definitely go and check. If you want to check that I'm not just talking bubbles, uh, go on to Google and type in Phil Palucha uh, Mobile World Congress uh, or just type in Phil Palucha Campaign Asia and you will find the articles for yourself so you can have a read through. Um, look, I, I would just encourage people to be brave. You know, we don't have to live the life that we've been taught. You know, I'm, I'm very, as I said at the beginning, I'm rather anti-establishment. I kind of feel like we've been lied to a lot in terms of how we need to behave with our money and how we need to think to get ahead. And, you know, you need to work harder, hustle, hustle, hustle. Like that's such a stupid move. You're going to burn out, right? Work smarter, not harder. I promise you, you and your business and your family will thank you as a result. So anybody who has any questions, feel free to get in touch with me. And hopefully I'll see you at one of our profitable networking monthly events. Nice. I love it. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. I appreciate having you around. Love helping you build your business. Check out our next episode of 7 to 8 and see how we can help you build your empire. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.